So welcome to the FinTech Files. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Marwan Forsley, the CEO of Vim. And we're going to investigate the future of global payments. Marwan, welcome to the FinTech Files. Thank you for having me, George. So we're talking about global payments and I have a small anecdote about it, which was a real pain for my small business as one day we had to do a project for Expedia and we, I had to pay lots of collaborators across Europe and I had to pay them in multiple currencies. It was very costly and very inefficient. Is that the type of problem that Vim is solving for businesses? It is, yes. What, what we do at Veeam, making it really simple for businesses to pay and get paid around the world. It's a wire replacement service, meaning that if you are uh, using a bank wire and you find that whole process to be complicated, Veeam, we designed it so that it makes it really simple for you to send payments. It's like all you need to do is enter the email address of the receiver, you send money, and that's it. Customers use us to pay suppliers, pay labor, move money between their bank accounts. We do this in 110 countries, 50 plus currencies, and we have about 300,000 accounts uh, on the platform. And again, it's all about simplicity. It's making it really simple for businesses to move money. All you need is an email and you're done. That sounds absolutely amazing. And I wish I'd come across Veeam back then. Just to emphasize on the problem, what I had to do is to ask my counterparts to send them their bank details. They would usually not send the right one because they would send the local invoices. And then I had to ask them for more information. And then through my bank, well, it was a pain to enter and it was a significant cost every time. So I can only dream of the possibility. And how does it work in terms of the, the foreign currencies and the costs involved? There is no fee to send or request for payments. We make money on foreign exchange. Generally, it's somewhere around half the price that you usually get from a bank. The foreign exchange rates vary depending on the corridor, on the size of payment. But in general, it ends up being a lot cheaper than what you did today through your bank account. And how did you start and how did you get into the payment industry? The first start, I started Veeam in 2014. I used to run e-commerce for Western Union. Got into Western Union through an acquisition of a company called eBill. And prior to that, I was another startup that ended up with, with Nokia, a totally different industry, voice over IP. But I've always been in startups and I've always uh, enjoyed the settings where you're building a new product uh, in a new industry. Got into payments through my previous company, eBillMe, which was a checkout option and got into figuring out how to do payments for e-commerce. When we sold that company to Western Union, I, I learned quite a bit about global payments and, and all the nuances and difficulties of payments around the world. So after some time at Western Union, I left and started Veeam to really solve that problem. And the vision here is to make it really simple uh, for you to pay around the world. Uh, kind of similar to when you uh, go to pay for coffee, you don't think about it. We want to dumb it down here and make sure that you, have, you don't have to think about uh, global payments when you do them. That's why we started Veeam and that's how we got started in it. So it sounds really amazing and simple. So how do I get started and how do I go from uh, having those complicated bank transfer to just entering the email of my customer or, yeah. my, or of the, the people I, that uh, I need to pay? 
Yeah. So George, let's, let's uh, do it like an actual study. For example, sure. When your project with, with Expedia, you had to pay a number of people that collaborated with you and you had to go get the, all the beneficiaries, bank account details, IBAN and bank and Swift Coast. And you had, you had to pay a fee to send that money. And, and also not only the wire fee, but you also had to pay for foreign exchange and the whole and you had to repeat this multiple times, depending on how many uh, customers you in Veeam. Mm -hmm. uh, what you do is you set up an account. It takes a couple of minutes to set up your account. All we need is your, you go to veeam.com, you register as a new user. What we need from you to register as a user, your business name, address, uh, your tax ID, and, and you're done. You, you log in and to send money to the first customer that you collaborated with. What you end up doing is you enter the email address of that receiver. So let's say you're in the UK and you're trying to pay in pounds and the receiver that you're working with is in Germany and wants Europe. Uh, so you enter the email address of the party you're sending to and the amount of, the amount of money you owe. So let's say you are trying to pay 5,000 pounds. So basically you enter email, 5,000 pounds head pay. The, system then sends an email out to the receiver in Germany saying, Hey, you're getting 5,000 pounds from George. What would you like to do? Would you like to accept this money? And would you like it in Euro? Would you like it in US dollars? What would you like to do with it? And so the receiver in Germany say, yeah, I, I need this money. They enter their bank account information, their local bank. And once they accept it, we KYC the receiver. And then we basically pick up pounds from you and deposit euros or USD into the receiver's bank account in Germany, depends on what the, what the receiver wants. The, the other thing is the, you have a choice in terms of how you want to pay. You can pay from your bank account, you can pay from a wallet and the receiver has a choice as well. They can get paid on, on their bank account, on their own bank account. They can keep the money in a wallet. They can have it on a card. Depending on the country you're in, there's multiple payment options for the sender and multiple payment options for the receiver. So that's how this whole thing works. Does it make sense? Understood. And so this is really uh, fascinating in its simplicity. And in fact, when I look at Veeam, it's all about how simple it is. And eventually that's the only thing I need to know as a business owner. But I'd like to go a little bit behind the scene and try to understand how you built that and what it is, what is it built on? Can you share a little bit about the technology and what yeah. it took to so, build it? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It is all what, what is visible to the user is all about the service. That's all about how do I pay and get paid in a simple way. The, the behind the scenes architecture is quite complex. So what we do we enable you to pay with a number of payment options and the receiver to get paid and receive money with a number of payment options. And in the middle, we have a, a routing technology called multi-rail that moves money between a number of rails. We have five of them. The first rail is our own bank accounts in a number of countries. So for example, if we're moving money from the UK to Germany, there's actually nothing that moves on the ground between these two countries. What happens is we, have a credit on the UK account, and then we have a debit that happens from the German account to, to, to move euros to the recipient. So in that architecture, we call that treasury, meaning it's our Veeam's 
between bank accounts in a number of countries. For customers that want real-time payments, we integrate into Visa and MasterCard so we can move money directly to the bank account associated with your debit card. These transactions end up being real. For countries that uh, are emerging, so for example, Philippines, Mexico, Brazil, India, we use a lot of blockchain. So in that context, what we do is we essentially convert from fiat to crypto to fiat. And we do this, essentially, we go in and out of crypto real time so that the price of crypto doesn't matter. And we use that vehicle as a synthetic cross from one currency to another. And, and that work allows us to settle payments in countries where we don't want to have our own bank account infrastructure, but the countries are big enough, interesting enough to make sure that we use different technology to speed up the payment delivery for these types of, for these countries. The, the fourth rail we work with are dedicated payment processors in, in different markets. So for example, in China, China is a complicated market. We, we have PSPs we work with, we send them US dollars, they convert to RMB and they send RMB out to the recipient. And, and then the last technology that we use is SWIFT. We use it for long tail markets, large transactions or like to like currencies. So for example, if I'm sending you know US dollar from California to someone in France and they wanted to keep it in USD, we use SWIFT for that. So all these technologies are behind the scenes. The customer does not see any of it. It's all backend plumbing and it's all designed to find the most efficient way to move money from point A to point B. Wow, that's quite fascinating. And uh, really the idea of multi-rail is something that um, I haven't considered so much before because which we, which we are often talked with my previous guest as well about oh, how to improve the rails or change to new rails, but it's always about opting for one rail versus the other. And indeed they're called rails because it's hard to move from one rail to another, but that's what you have managed. And I can only imagine it's a huge amount of work to be able to make it interact smoothly between each other. Yes, a, a, a good for of the IP that we build is really the management of a multitude of rails and going in and out between them based on whatever is best for the user. So the selection of the rail is dependent on what is best for that user. Fascinating. And can we go a little bit more into this use of blockchain? You mentioned that it's for specific uh, countries, but can you elaborate a little bit on how it works? Yeah. So again, it's all behind the scenes. Uh, so for example, if I'm, if the user is sending money from call it us to Mexico. So what we do is we mm -hmm. essentially take the us dollar. So we pull the funds from the sender's bank account. We take custody of the funds. We convert that to one of the cryptos, most likely Bitcoin, since that's the most liquid. We then send Bitcoin out to the dollar wallet in Mexico. We then convert from Bitcoin to pesos. And now we have pesos in our wallet in Mexico. We then send settlement instructions to our exchange partner in Mexico, who then delivers pesos to the receiver on the Mexican side. So the entire process functions like the traditional remittances, but on a very different infrastructure, which is the blockchain infrastructure. 
the way to describe essentially this model is a way to bypass intermediary banks, mainly correspondent banks, of which the entry country is an exchange and the exit country is another exchange. And we have wallets on each exchange. In that way, we essentially use the exchanges as a settlement endpoint in the various countries we, we do this we do this in. That's how we what? that's how we do it on the blockchain. Fascinating. And therefore, and you use Bitcoin because it's a great store of value. It's a means of payment and you don't have too much risk of volatility, which is significant intraday or, or within the hour because it's instantaneous. Is that how it works? Yeah, the, because we go in and out on, on the transactions immediately. So we, we are not uh, subject to volatility of, of the underlying mm. And the reason why most of the time it's Bitcoin because the other cryptos generally are not liquid enough uh, to make the transactions uh, work. And so for this to for this model to work, the bid ask spread has to be tight enough. Of course, and, and yes, generally yes. you need liquidity for that. Of course, so use that liquidity, and therefore it's like a, a bridge. Or I remember I used to work in foreign exchange as well, and sometimes you had to make the cross. So, for example, euro and GBP would be a cross, but you had to go for the dollar to make it a tighter uh, spread. But here, it's not just about the spread; it's also about the vehicle to send money from one place to another, which I found really yeah. fascinating. It's, it gives you the, the things that are interesting about. Uh, using this method is really the real-time settlement because that rail mm. is essentially real-time. The, the other thing that's important about it, there's no banking hours in, in Bitcoin. It's live 24 by 7. So you could uh, do off-hour settlement. If I'm sending Mexico money and it's in the middle of the night, I can tell the customer that money is now in Mexico. When the bank opens, you're going to have that deposited into your banking account. And the other thing that's important about it, it gives you significant amount of tracking that you do not get with SWIFT. In the world of crypto, you, you can literally Google map your payments and, and figure out where the payment is at. And that's something we do. We have a tracker that tracks the details of what happens to that payment from point A to point B in significant amount of detail. And, and when you use the blockchain, that is quite a bit of data you're working with to refine the view to the customer as to where that money is at. That's why that trail is interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that's something that I really love hearing about. First, because it's uh, so exciting. That's what makes me love fintech. And secondly, because we are all uh, craving for crypto applications. And this is an absolutely real one. And you make payments every day. And secondly, I really like to hear that despite the fascination with the value of Bitcoin, and is it going up? And I guess it's always going up. I think it broke a new high as we speak. It, it offers a lot more, right? It's not just about speculation. It has a, a real use case for practical things. One of the things that's fascinating about the, the, this methodology is that, first of all, it's not visible to the user. Second, it provides a real use case that demonstrates what you can do with new technology. Often what you hear about, you know, blockchain is a lot of PowerPoints, a lot of ideas, a lot of long-term stuff. This is practical. It's now, it solves a real problem. It's a use case that people relate to. Because if you've ever spent money around the world, you know how painful it is. Just the way you described it at the beginning of Wikipedia, 
and, and this essentially is a way to utilize a different technology to simplify these transactions. I'm also wondering, in terms of marketing, because as you have such a fascinating technology, and I know many technologists, uh, founders, uh, they always want to, to put the technology in front and talk about the blockchain or have your customers understand the benefits, but they don't have to understand what's going on behind the scene. Was that, did you always present things this way or was it a change in your marketing approach at some point down the line to say, hey, we're not going to talk about whatever blockchain and multi-rail? Yeah, we started doing blockchain transactions back in like 2015. So we were like really early to the market. Mm -hmm. One of the things we noticed that when you talk uh, technical language to business users, you really lose them. Because when they started, if we say to someone who's selling computers, for example, that we use a technology called multi-rail and we use a blockchain, that customer, all they worry about is when is my payment going to make it to Germany and at what price? And that's all they, really all they care about. And so we found that actually describing the technology behind the scenes was not necessarily helpful for the customer that wanted to understand two things, really two things, that's it, is what cost and when is my payment going to make it to the destination? And same thing if they're getting paid, they just want to understand when do I get paid and how much is it going to cost me? And so we, we decided not to complicate that with all the technical language and keep it behind the scenes. It is certainly one of the more advanced payment processing infrastructure in the market, but the beauty of it it's not visible to the user because the user doesn't worry about it. The user doesn't want to understand how payments work. The user just wants to pay and get paid. And that's all they care about. I love it. Invisible fintech. So now, can you tell us a little bit the outlook? Where do you think this could bring us in the, in the future in terms of uh, payments and maybe use of blockchain as well? Yeah, I think there is two very large use cases that are going to continue to fuel global payments in, in for a long time. One is the rise of e-commerce. Pre-COVID, a lot of the commerce happened offline. And when you needed something that you couldn't find uh, at a store, you would go online and do it on the web. In COVID and, and post-COVID, it's the other way around. You start online, and if there's something you cannot find and you really need something, you go to the store and pick it up. So the user behavior fundamentally changed to be more biased towards e-commerce transactions, and that's going to continue to fuel global payments. The second use case that's important is the rise of remote labor. Pre-COVID, you would have labor, you have an office, you want to have labor, you, have, you find uh, people to help you in the area you're in. In COVID and, and post-COVID, there's this removal of the idea of borders and location. If we're all on Zoom, it doesn't matter if I'm in San Francisco and you're in the UK, we're both on Zoom. And so the concept of where labor is gets to be more around, let me find the, the labor that works for me around the world. And that's going to continue to fuel payments for labor markets. And that's a use case that's going to sustain long-term. So we think COVID actually made significant advancements to the fintech industry and that it, it's going to the fuel long-term digitization of payments and globalization of payments 
for these fundamental use cases that are going to be sustainable long term. And as a final words, would you have any advice for fellow fintech founders? I think the, the fintech journey is exactly a, a simple one. Generally, fintech is a regulated uh, industry heavy on legal and compliance. It is complicated in that you're piecing together an experience to the user followed generally with the plumbing that you get, you need to get right. Or when I say plumbing, meaning infrastructure, because that infrastructure uh, is heavy on details, how payments work, how KYC works, how fraud and risk work, how legal and compliance uh, fit into the whole picture. So you, you have to have quite a bit of patience and you need to understand the complexity of putting pieces of the puzzle together to deliver something to the user that's concrete and simple. When, when hiding the complexity, you take the complexity on the back end. So you need to be able to deal with that organizationally and be able to have long-term views and, and to be able to be persistent about it for it to work. Absolutely. It's very often about abstracting complexity. I just want to thank you very much, Marwan, for um, describing to us the future of global payments. And we'll put all the links to, to Vim if people want to find out more. Uh, thank you for being part of the FinTech Files. Thank you very much, George. Thanks for listening and thank you to our guests who make this possible. Subscribe to never miss an episode. As this is a new broadcast, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and your favorite podcast player, that would be great. Let's work together to accelerate FinTech towards the 2030s.